0: The battle of Britain is about to begin.
1: V-Crite, we got tanks, us Rick. Close panel of radio on V-Crite. I've been around right on the target right now. I've got a couple of views right in front of me. I'm going please.
0: Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we're going to give it another go and get another rant from Steve. You know, Steve, the shy, retiring teacher from Pennsylvania, a state where everyone is loved and accepted. Right, Steve?
2: Yeah, I will let you know that I actually got out a book to make sure I was prepared for this podcast.
0: You studied? No, say it isn't so. (laughs) Well, you know, I know everyone's going to be disappointed because tonight we don't have Casey on, which means there's no furry report. But we do have Brett. You know, Brett who comes from a state that has the highest percentage of Disney-themed furry parties per capita. What's new, Brett? You've been playing a little The Fox and the Hound, you know what I mean? Winning hearts and minds, brother. (laughs) Oh, It's good to have you on. I'm glad that you managed to survive uh, Hurricane Ian with uh, minimal damage and uh, stuff. I know I ran like a scared little chicken out of Orlando. Uh, So it's one of those things. But we're glad that everybody's back together. I guess, Steve, you even got effects of Ian up there in in Pennsylvania, didn't you?
2: Uh, It was horrible. The entire (laughs) weekend was like 40 degrees and rainy. So I went from... My mind was set for a beautiful sunny weekend in Florida, gaming to forty degrees, raining, sitting at kids' soccer tournaments. It was yeah. just well,
0: amazing. Well, you know, at least we learned something from uh, from all the, the the great posts and contributions about us talking about Crucible. Because did you guys know that that the Air Force they fly into hurricanes? Do you know that guys? i never heard that. I it's weird. Well, you know, little known, uh, you know. Event or I guess little known fact here I should say uh, when the hurricane hunters go on deployment is the same time that fighter squadrons go on deployment to Keesler Air Base. Yeah, Friday nights in the Oak Club with lonely C-130 wives. Oh, did I say that out loud? I did. Uh, anyway, moving on. So, what does the team have up next? Uh, we're going to go to Vicksburg, Mississippi. Now, hopefully, I can shame some other team members into joining me. I know most everybody has something else to do. But 14 to 16 October, Siege of Vicksburg at the casino there in Vicksburg. Great venue. Uh, I know it's going to be me, John Russell. Sounds like uh, Don, Rhonda, a bunch of other people are going to be there. Mike, uh, a lot of the Blood Red Skies crew that has made a number of the conventions, they'll be there. Don says he is going to do some MIG Alley stuff, which is awesome. Uh, so hopefully some B-29s, uh, MIGs, Sabres, Panthers. Who knows what's going to show up? Should be a good time. And, Steve, might you make it? Can we shame you into it?
2: I, I, uh, yeah, probably. Now, you have a, <laughs> I have to ask this question. Wasn't it said that Crucible was going to be the last of the tournament year? So are we going new P-38 rules for Vicksburg then? The fuck we are. <laughs>
0: No, no, we'll just extend the crucible plan into into Vicksburg. So no, you can't cheat and play the the not official, you know, break all the rules, P38 rules. But that's fine. If So if we haven't offended you based on the last podcast about the P38, uh, now we're going to offend you by saying we don't care about that for this tournament year. Now, we'll, uh, we will do Siege of Vicksburg, play a tournament there, play a lot of narrative stuff. And even if we don't play a tournament, who cares? Let's just play a bunch of Blood Red Skies. And I guess that will kind of be the super unofficial Gathering of Eagles. Sorry, we fucked it away this year. We suck. (laughs) Hey, why don't you write a review for us on on, Lead Pursuit, either on our website or on our podcast, to say how terrible we are because we screwed up uh, the uh, Gathering of Eagles. Eh, whatever. Don't care. Okay. Uh, Next up, Millennium Con, 10 to 13 November, Round Rock, Texas. Once again, I will not be there because, as Casey says, Doug is off taking a vacation. Actually, I'll be getting shit-faced because the 10th of November is. Drumroll, please. Oh, it's the Marine Corps birthday. Is it crayon buffet? (laughs) Go ahead and insult me. It is the crayon buffet day. My wife and I both will be at the crayon buffet. uh, And we will not be at Millennium Con. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to be there. Uh, All of us Marines are going to be getting stupid. And then that's when we get even stupider on Veterans Day. So uh, 10 to 13 November, Millennium Con, Round Rock, Texas. Be there. Play some Blood Red Skies. um, And make sure you beat up Casey because he's going to be there. Beat him up, take his lunch money, um, and then go play some Blood Red Skies with him. And then the next big thing, Adepticon, 20 to 20, 22 to 26 March, uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, should be a great time. A lot of fun stuff planned. And I I guess I can announce it here. I don't really know if we've all agreed to it or not, but I'm going to announce it anyway. So Friday night, we're going to do a Blood Red Skies furball. What's a furball? Well, it's a lot like Let's see, the Battletech grinder or the meat grinder that uh, that Steve and, and Brett were in uh, at Adepticon last year. We're going to give you one, maybe two if we're nice, airplanes, and you're just going to fly till you die. And when you die, sure, you can come back in and die right again. We really don't care. Um, but it's going to be kind of a, a fun hangout, drink a lot of alcohol, play Blood Red Skies, and have a good time. Kind of social mixer game. Uh, and hopefully we'll get some people that will just pitch in and jump in because it'll look like we're having a lot of fun. Uh, And then from there, we'll do whatever other events. I know we have talked about uh, some Blood Red Sky stuff. Definitely Aeronautica Imperialis. I can tell you Saturday, uh, the 25th, that is, I guess, of March is going to be big for AI. I think the Heresy guys are doing their AI in the morning. We are still on the schedule tentatively, at least for the evening Aeronautica Imperialis. And if you don't like little space planes and space marines and spacemen and aliens and other things, well, tough shit. I really don't care because we like Aeronautica Imperialis and we're going to be playing it at Adepticon. Uh, So come out, join us and we'll have a good time. All right. That is all that's on the schedule for now. Things could always change. We can always add events. I know uh, Steve's talked about Mythicos has a number of things planned for this fall and this winter. So hopefully they'll be on board to do some events. Any more information from those guys? Steve, you heard anything?
2: Uh, no, but what about, uh, PAX maybe in Maryland? Oh yeah. Possibly totally to forgot about,
0: uh, about Maryland probably in December. So we're still trying to lay out the last of the, uh, of the information, but PAX river at the air museum there, which is a pretty sweet location. Even if you aren't playing blood red skies, uh, doing a event there. So trying to work some details out, get that all figured out for December, and then we'll roll through and, uh, play some more blood red skies. Probably not a tournament, probably narrative stuff, but that's fine. Everyone in the area can come out, hang out, and uh, have fun. Okay, so uh, only one other thing I wanted to kind of talk about before we got into tonight's main event. For those of you that are interested in Blood Red Skies, but go, hey, Lead Pursuit, you slack fuckers, why have you not done a playthrough yet? Well, it's because we suck, as you know. Uh, But more importantly, the Gimpy Gamer over on YouTube, Nate has done two separate playthroughs of Blood Red Skies. He's done Hellcats with uh, Dauntlesses, Opposed by Zeros, you know, dive bombing carriers and stuff. Uh, It's really good. Go out there, take a look at it. Um, Listen to Nate and then make fun of Nate when he keeps saying Bearcat instead of Hellcat. Uh, But uh, they're really good playthroughs and he walks you through a lot of the rules, a lot of the considerations. So if you're new to Blood Red Skies or if you're curious about Blood Red Skies, uh, I really got to recommend those two because they involve the new starter set they're not the old battle of britain set they're the new scenarios and the airstrike rules not the old starter set rules so uh it's the latest and greatest and up to date and nate you know always does a good job breaking down uh the rules into into what makes sense and then you know where your points of confusion are so really happy that uh, that he did that playthrough and and got the, or those two playthroughs and got uh got that info out there all right. Well, let's move on. So let's talk about the controversy in the ready room because you know, Lead Pursuit likes stirring the pot, and we really don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> right, Steve? <laughs> are we? Are we worried about hurting feelings at Lead Pursuit? What? What? What are feelings?
2: Feelings? What are those things
0: you speak of? Yeah. What are feelings? My My feeling was hurt. Don't we have a meme that says something like uh, "Show us on this doll where LPP hurt you"? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's that in the hurt feelings report. Please describe exactly how lead pursuit hurts your feelings. Uh, yeah, so we don't care. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about a pretty controversial discussion. Uh, but first, I would have to just say, let me open it to the rant. You know, Steve, here's your chance. This is your thirty second elevator pitch for how fucked up pilots are in Blood Red Skies. Give us. Just off the top of your head, you go, girl.
2: Okay. I do not think fucked up is the correct term. I think that there is a misrepresentation of the relationship between pilot and airplane. So something that is an airplane trait should be something that is because of the airplane. So An airplane having robust, you could be a skill two pilot or a skill five pilot, there is still armor plating between your head. An airplane like the Zero, you could be Saburo Sakai or Sushi Suzuki, and if a bullet hits your fuel tank, you explode. It is totally irrelevant on the pilot trait. And when you start to put traits on airplanes that are dependent on how the pilot behaves in that airplane, it is not accurately represented across all aircraft the same way.
0: Mr. Cantor has a question. Please, please recognize the uh, delegate for Florida.
1: I'm guessing this is maybe inspired from our conversation last episode about stuff with the P38 right and and was it Rough Ride or something we were talking about compressibility issues and I think you made the comment in that episode that once pilots got used to that fact that they kind of trained out of that negative trait if you will is that where this is coming from? Well I think
2: that idea of training a pilot out of a behavior and then you not being able to call that a characteristic of the airframe is a hundred percent valid. And just based on the time frame that we're talking about in World War II, right, in the late 30s and 40s, where airplanes were still very new on the evolutionary spectrum of the airplane, right? Every single airplane that was developed had what I wouldn't even call them negative traits. I would call them quirks that if you were going to- I would call them the laws of
0: physics.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the laws of physics. You needed to know that that would happen. And I think it's amazing how quickly if somebody tells you, if you do this, you will die. It doesn't take you months of training to not do that behavior.
0: Yeah, it's weird. That's that's something that's been written in at least US military aviation, because as I was talking with Mark Barker, one of the funny things was reading, reading the Air Force technical orders. They read exactly the same today. I mean, like the, there's the the wording and the way they say things that is basically do not exceed this, or you will have catastrophic structural failure and you will die. You know, it's, it literally is, is the same kind of wording and people actually pay attention to that. It's weird. You, you brief somebody on that and you say, you know what? If in a dive, you exceed 350 knots, uh, you're not going to have any control authority and you're going to become a smoking hole, you know? No, and it's important that like people understand that you're not saying that facetiously, right? Like the
2: words actually say you will die.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's not being facetious. Yeah. Like they they say that. No, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, every once in a while they, they will use a little bit of a euphemism. They'll be like, you will have catastrophic structural failure that will lead to a fatality, in other words, you're going to fucking die. You know The airplane is going to fail to fly anymore and you'll become a smoking hole. Um, and you know we're talking, I, I have a, a really good book on the P-51 that has the P-51's uh, flight manual, P-51D flight manual on the back end of it. And it has very similarly worded things. It says, do not do this or you will not recover and you will crash. And, and it literally is that simple. It says, like, power on stalls. In a P-51D, do not enter a stall and keep the power on. Or you will not recover, and you will die. And that's pretty much how it says it in the manual. So, y- you make a good point there, Steve. But I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot to this, and this is a complex issue. And I guess I am still a little angry over how it was handled in the ready room. And of course, you know, Ken and I, oil and water. We don't, we don't play well together. Um, but I find in the ready room when we discuss traits and pilot skills and things like that, there's an attitude of dismissiveness that really pisses me off. Because there's there were some good points that you brought up that I think got swept under the rug because we poked fun at, you know, favorite British aircraft or because we were trying to remove a trait from a favorite American aircraft, which ironically I was going through reading book reviews about a bunch of P38 books, and almost every reviewer was like, the the unquestionably best fighter of the war. And I'm laughing. I'm like, well, we called the P thirty eight that. The Brits called the Spitfire that. They both had problems. What do you know? It's weird. Um well the issue is it always becomes
2: a my knowledge dick is bigger than it is. your it totally is. It is, dick, it is totally. Right?
0: Well, and that's and that's what always makes me angriest about it is it's never dealing in reality. It's dealing in what anecdotes or what um what wikipedia posts can we can we base this on that that call it out rather than the reality and the the frustration i have is just like you said it's very straightforward to attempt to train a behavior out of pilots put a flight limit in there do not do this otherwise you will crash do not exceed this airspeed but that doesn't change the laws of physics and it doesn't matter whether it's a 109e that was prone to stalls because of how the wingtips were, or a P38E that is prone to compressibility issues because it didn't have any dive recovery flaps. How did they, yeah, I go back to how do we fix it in the in the P38 and the, um, in the P47? P38E and, and, and the early P47s had that compressibility, compressibility problem. So in later models, we put dive flaps. So when you fucked it away and you got past that speed, you hit the dive flaps. And what do they do? They create a drag. They slowed you down. They pulled you out of that flight regime. Um, but, but that's one of those things that it was an aircraft fix that was a last resort if the pilot fix didn't work. And the, the main point was just don't fly in a part of the flight envelope that'll kill you. Yes, sir, Mr. Cantor well, from it, Florida. Just to clarify, you guys aren't uh, griping on the fundamental
1: mechanics of the game system so much as the thought process that might –
2: well, hold Potentially
0: that apply I new too. stuff. I, I, I am okay. I have a fundamental bitch about how pilot skill is done in the game. And I think Steve hit on it and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But the the bigger problem is that there are there are traits given to airplanes that rely on your pilot skill to execute them, not inherent in the airframe. Such as no stalling is a great example. No stalling is, is the classic example to me in the Zero. The Zero had amazing slow speed maneuverability. The Zero can also obey the laws of physics and enter an adverse yaw stall like any other airplane if it is flown to the wrong part of the regime. Now, so what does that mean? It means that a young pilot skill pilot whatever, one, zero, whatever we're going to call these people that aren't you know trained pilots. Um, one of those guys could crash, and they did. It was not a forgiving airplane. People people who say the Zero was a forgiving airplane don't understand how the Japanese were trained, they don't understand how the aircraft was actually built to fly. It was a great slow speed fighter, but it also obeyed the laws of physics, and it would flip over on top of you and kill you if you flew it too slow. So there's- there's things like that that I, I agree, Steve. I think I think the game gives traits like tight turn, no stalling, um, great climb even, to be honest. I mean, because just having an airplane with a lot of power doesn't mean you know how to fly a profile that allows you to outclimb climb your enemies. Because we can all jam the throttle in the corner and park the nose high, and it doesn't mean you're going to outclimb climb your enemy. I mean, there's, there are specific flight attitudes that, for those of you who aren't pilots like Ken, that means the number of degrees above the horizon that your aircraft is. Uh, so there are specific flight attitudes that are your optimum climb rates. And so if people don't understand that, they don't understand that you know some knucklehead new 109 pilot could jam the throttle in a corner and pull up the nose and stall the airplane immediately. And it would not outclimb a Spitfire. It would fall into a spin. Um, but but I think that's also to the second part of your point which we've batted around, which is, is there a pilot skill for untrained pilot? Because pilot skill two certainly isn't untrained.
2: Yeah. And that would be kind of like my thing, right? Is there has to be a baseline established for the minimum pilot level when you're statting these planes, right? So, like the stats of a plane themselves would be influenced by the pilot. Like, if you gave me the keys to a P 51 today and said, go to the airport, the P-51 that I am in would have an agility of zero and a speed of zero because I wouldn't be able to get it started, right? So there is, when you put stats on that plane, we have already made the assumption that the pilot, every pilot that flies it can accomplish that baseline statistic.
0: Right. And I think that is a misnomer, not something to be fixed easily. I'm not saying this is a... Easy change to the mechanics of blood red skies, but it's something to understand that a pilot skill five individual would employ tight turn differently than a pilot skill two individual or great climb or great dive. Uh, And and even I would laugh that a heavy airplane like a P-38, a heavy, overpowered, high altitude airplane literally should have great dive if the pilot is skilled enough to understand his flight regime, because that thing will come down like a raped ape out of altitude, but you have to know how to not exceed your max speed while doing it. So I think there's, I think there's, there's a point where, it's not an easy fix. It's kind of a grognard level fix in some ways. So I hate to. I, hate I mean, to like, like you don't you don't get
1: it. the trait unless you're like pilot skill three or greater or yeah, something like yeah. that.
0: or or that there's grades of it, you know. And and I think this is still one of the limitations in in two trade airplanes is you don't get to mix it for how you want your pilot to employ the plane that day or for what their skill. Oh,
1: that's is. a neat idea. What what think about this? I mean, just kind of brainstorming here. But let's say you have a two trade a whole new game, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, I'm just. You know, think it off the top of my head. let's say you have a two trade aircraft. Let's start with that. Maybe you only have the option of using two traits if you're a pilot skill three or greater. I mean, right?
0: I don't know if that. Yeah, no, that, and that's- to follow your example. Yeah, that well, that that's a that's a great lead from that example, or that there's certain gates to certain traits that you there would be an assumption that and that would kind of be broken down by the airplane. Sure, you ever you would get robust no matter what your pilot skill is. And then you might get tight turn once you get to pilot skill 3, pilot skill 4. So then you'd have a a choice to say, is this the kind of airplane that your average pilot can employ in a tight turn regime? It's always going to be robust or is this you know and I'll use the Spitfire and I'll probably piss all of my British friends off. But to me the Spitfire is one of those airplanes that if we said, all right, let's give it let's give it two traits and one of them being tight turn, then I'd say, okay, tight turn is probably a pilot skill three kind of thing. Your average guys that are an average, you know, hundred some odd hour pilot that have survived that long, they'll be able to employ it that way. But not your pilot skill two guys, not the guy who's, you know, finished all of his training. He's still figuring it the F out. Um, but it's obviously Spitfire is a single trait airplane in that sense. So, <laughs> so it, it, hey, I
2: saw Ben Affleck crash that thing right into the water and then, uh, you know, Matt Damon or whoever get to do his girl. Well, so I well know I was about say,
0: float, float, I say, floats, floats well is not a trait. So <laughs> it, it, d- doesn't Spitfire deserve rough ride. Oh wait, too soon. Too soon. Jump ahead. <laughs> well, you, you, you're going to totally jump ahead there. So I'm going to ignore that one. But, but there's a point that certain airplanes are super maneuverable and super deadly and are super unforgiving. So in a sense, I'd say like a 109, a 109E ought to be rough ride for a pilot skill two. But is absolutely great climb for a pilot skill three and above. But the problem is you get slow in a 109E. You put any sides, any, any side slip. Uh, And for those of you who have not flown, any side slip means you turn and you look to the left and you don't even think about it, but you're stepping on the left rudder. It's called side slip. Yep. And you're going to flip right over. Um, how do I know? Plenty of my friends have done that. Um, so I've actually died doing that. But anyway, side note, uh, no one cares because apparently I know too much as an aviator. I'm too close. Um, but but the point being that, that 109 pilots got themselves into trouble just thinking about side slip. So that was something that as an experienced pilot, they learned to when they were flying that thing very hands-on to say, I am not going to be touching the rudders as I'm in this loaded turn. Uh, But anyway, I digress. So part of the discussion though, Steve, I I think you hit on it was that even beyond there being gates for things like that, that we shouldn't be assigning traits to airplanes that require a level of skill to achieve besides the obvious ones what were some of the other traits that you'd thought of as you as you kind of went through this? You know, was was there any thought to either, you know, it was fairly straightforward ones like buzzsaw or heavy hitter? You know, do you do you?
2: I even think agile, like when we're talking about twin engine aircraft, right? Like,
0: and that's a, that's a great point. Is that the a lot of these twin engine aircraft you look at, and and I'll use Warby Warburton, who has an ace card we really haven't published yet. Maybe I'll go have my Chinese friends print that one off. Um, but there's a guy that got a lot of kills in a reconnaissance aircraft. And so obviously he understood how to perform that aircraft, you know? So for him, those twin engine aircraft were agile.
1: (laughs) He had a kind of a rough start as a
0: pilot too. I mean, if you read the history. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's, to me, that's, that's a good example of that. An individual who, you know, made a lot of mistakes, learned from his mistakes, but then also made some of those aircraft super deadly. That shouldn't have been deadly. Uh, the Maryland should not be thought of as an airplane that gets five kills. Um, but when you know what you're doing and you perform the aircraft to the edge of the envelope, then it, you know, it, it can be a, a you can actually get those kills. So,
2: I think poor quality is another one that should probably be on almost like every aircraft in the 1930s and 40s, right? Because when you think about what poor quality does at a game, poor quality affects the way you start the game. So basically, exactly. your air affects the way your aircraft and not just your aircraft affects the way your squadron is entering combat, well, right?
0: Well exactly. So how
2: many one nines got effed up on takeoff? Well, how many yes. you know Spitfires to got f'd up on takeoff? How
0: many there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons you can show up not at a full advantage state. And this and this is a discussion we're gonna have throughout this whole episode is what does advantage mean Advantage is super nebulous for good reason. Andy defined it to be that way. But it's all of those things of energy and speed and altitude and situational awareness all rolled together. But there's a lot of ways you can show up in a battle with less advantage. And poor quality is a good cover for a lot of those, whether it's like the Italians with no radios in the airplane or you know, a lack of turbochargers in certain airplanes, so they couldn't climb higher and faster. And 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 once they saw the enemy, they couldn't ramp up to altitude. I always
1: think of that P thirty nine,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I, th- I think of the P thirty nine that everything was conspiring against that pilot. Well, except for his window that he could roll down, you know, because <laughs> he wanted to roll down to shoot his forty five out at the uh, at the enemy. But um, the there's a lot of things that roll into poor quality. So I think I think you're you're right there, Steve. There's. A lot of aircraft you could give poor quality to because on any given day, average pilots they could end up at a non-advantageous state because of the airplane. Um, I'll be honest; I would even say the Wildcat on some days would need poor quality. And, and I, I love the Wildcat. I, I love all the Marine squadrons and Navy squadrons that flew it. But in its early iterations, that airplane. Was just not zooming to altitude, ready to fight. It was lumbering its way up there. Um, so, you know, I guess there's. A-
2: now, I would say pretty much any carrier borne aircraft in World War II could have poor quality. We yeah. think about how it affects the way the squadron enters the fight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, there's a chance your squadron is not going to be at 100% when it enters a fight. You know, and that just depends, I guess. Again, how far you're extrapolating back those aircraft traits. and, And
0: you bring up a good point of the difference between aircraft traits and scenario based considerations, because there's a lot of aircraft that have poor quality that I'll be honest, I think we take from a historical scenario view, like the Italians with no radios. Yes, you're right. If I am launching, if I'm scrambling, if I'm going to suddenly react to a bunch of aircraft that I've seen out there and I don't have a radio, I will have less advantage. If I'm going to Malta (laughs) and I'm escorting 30 SM-79s and there's 100 of me and my buddies and and 20 Spitfires coming up, poor quality really doesn't matter. I'm going to have advantage just because there's so many of us and so few of them, you know. But, uh, but that's, that's one of the difficulties where I think, and this is going to totally sound like a cop out. And I know that, that uh, Ken is going to say, and Doug waffled again, because I'm waffling here. Um, It is just a game and it is a super simplified game. So I'm glad for it to be simplified, but it is super frustrating when you see how things um, just, just aren't tied to the pilot. They're tied to the airframe, but you have to have a good pilot to do those things. Yeah. Like tight turn. I digress again. It's,
2: it's frustrating for me because it seems like there's an inconsistency on how it's applied right, to different airframes. That's the frustration for me. Well, and that's really the only frustration. So it seems like it's a
0: personal feel and not really like an actual thing. Yes. And this is, this is where it's going to get personal for a second. And I'm sorry, not really sorry, but I'm going to say I'm sorry because I'm a nice person. Um, There's, there's an element of gatekeeping going on in the ready room and it's fucked up and it's fucked up because the gatekeeping that goes on is even when somebody brings demonstrative laws of physics evidence to something there, the, the crowd that stats, the airplanes for Andy will dismiss it out of hand. And quite frankly, guys, that's fucked up and there's no other way to say it. Um, and that's gatekeeping and, and whether, whether you're the kind of person that believes gatekeeping only happens when women are not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons because all the dudes want to hang out together and talk about girls in armor with big boobs. Uh, it's, it's still gatekeeping because what you're doing is you are taking people that have brought a valid response to something that's wrong in the game and you are locking them out of it. So go fuck yourselves. (laughs) But the reality is that I get it. Um. And I'm going to say this is going to sound super condescending, but it's it's I'm not saying it to be condescending. I'm saying it because it's a reality. Ken Nat has never put another airplane in his sights in real life. He has never felt three and a half Gs on his body as he is looking at another airplane. He doesn't understand the difference in how aircraft visibility and aircraft cockpits are configured. So when people say things like, oh yeah, rough ride, three and a half Gs, yeah, there's no way that they, yeah, that's going to make it difficult. No pilot who knew what he was doing was going to be in that situation in a P-38. So therefore, they would not be pulling lead with three and a half Gs. Um, there's a whole other side discussion about Rough Ride. So let's let's open that can of worms now since I've already kind of kicked that over. So let's talk about Rough Ride. Rough Ride, we have beat up in the last episode because it covers two different parts of the flight envelope. It covers aircraft in a dive, not being able to shoot because they're in that dive and they've burned advantage to dive, but it also covers aircraft that have burned advantage to maneuver. And those two parts of the flight regime are exact opposites. I know Brett, you had a couple questions about that earlier. We, when we were talking, I'm only familiar with
1: rough ride with the MiG-15. That's the only model I have that I've played with. that has that trait. And uh, you were saying yeah. that that really only applied in,
0: in fact with that aircraft in a dive situation not in a maneuver situation oh yeah so so and and exactly and and ken's going to laugh because ken and i always argue about migs and things like that um but but ken is absolutely right in a lot of his discussions about the mig 15 that the mig 15 is unfair, unfairly penalized with rough ride because as a maneuvering aircraft did not have severe problems. Yes, it had some buffeting. Yes, it had some stall susceptibility, but really no different in those areas than a F-86 was. The biggest difference was, one, because of the way the tail was designed, it was not a supersonic aircraft. But, and this is where I always go back to why I discount the bullshit that test pilots say, and I say that having a number of friends that are test pilots, when you go back and look at the MiG-15 specifically, so Chuck Yeager took it out and tested the MiG 15. And he said two contradictory things about it, which also goes back to the bullshit of test pilots. Um, that they will lie to you at the at the drop of a hat <laughs> and they'll try to nearly kill themselves. Um, he took it out and he at first said it's the most dangerous thing I've ever done, flying the MiG-15. Um, Because they didn't have manuals. They didn't know what they were doing. It wasn't supersonically rated. Uh, He almost took it supersonic and almost killed himself. But then in the test report, motherfucker comes out and says, the MIG and the Sabre are equally capable. Yes, I just called Chuck Yeager a motherfucker. Because that's what they said in the test report. It is equally capable. How can it both be the most dangerous thing he's done, and the aircraft is equally capable? Because then is the F-86 Sabre the second most dangerous aircraft he's flown? that the, the two are mutually exclusive. So point being, let's go back to when he talked to the MIG uh, engineers later and the MIG engineers said, you dumb motherfucker. You tried to nearly go supersonic in a dive with this airplane. We teach our most basic pilots. Yes. Our most basic pilots not to approach supersonic airspeeds in a dive in this airplane. Why? Because the airplane becomes uncontrollable. So once again, back to Steve's point, you train people not to fly into specific regimes. Now, the reason we're talking about Rough Ride is, is Rough Ride also unfairly penalizes the MiG, which is a maneuverable airplane, but could also be an unforgiving airplane in certain parts of the flight regime. So do we do we say, well, what was up with all these average Russian pilots who apparently didn't depart the airplane, but Chuck Yeager, a pilot skill fucking 15 pilot, <laughs> best fucking free roll pilots I've ever been next to – I won't even say the name of the British guy because I won't make Ken mad. But – an amazing test pilot nearly kills himself in the airplane and says it's the most dangerous thing he's ever done. There's, there's no, there's, there's no middle ground. Is there Steve?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you brought up a great thing, right? So if you're a pilot and you exceed the Moron limit, Yes. Is that the fault of the plane engineer, or is that your fault? Yes, that that is the question. That is the the root of the question.
0: And, and once again, it's kind of in a sense, it should almost be a skill gated kind of thing. That your pilot skill two and three guys are more likely to get rough ride. Your pilot skill five, I think he knows his freaking limits, and he's you know he's probably not going to exceed those in a dive unless he's intentionally doing because he doesn't know any better. Chuck Yeager, um, but it it's one of those things that that I think. Is a generalization of the game, and and all the bitching I've done, please don't misunderstand this. I am perfectly happy with how the game is now. I think we have to be honest about it, though, and say that it really unfairly penalizes high-skill pilots. Even though there's a maneuver check there, the fact is they have to do something to – there's a chance they can fail when they shouldn't have a chance of failing because they're not going to put themselves in that situation to fail. If that makes sense. If it's a situation that yeah. that is applied equally to everybody, like when you turn the airplane on, it's going to blow up, then your pilot skill five guy should have a better chance because he's got the hours and experience to know, hmm, I press the starter button and I don't turn the fuel flow on first, or things like that. You know, he's he's not going to he's not going to make those rookie mistakes. This is a case of taking that pilot's that maneuver check to defeat it still gives a pilot skill five guy an opportunity to be somewhere he shouldn't be. He he never would make that mistake.
2: Yeah, and I think the other important thing that you said there, right, is this isn't like a knock on the game or the game system, right? In fact, exactly. if we were having this conversation last October, I've been like, why are we even talking about this? We still don't have Midway. <laughs> like Blood Red Skies is going to be dead in two months, yeah, right? Yeah. So we have this like... I feel like a huge resurgence of Blood Red Skies, and it's almost like kind of like renewed, like second life to it. That the fact that we're kind of talking about this stuff, hoping there's a 2.0 version of Blood Red Skies comes out, is actually like a really positive thing,
0: you know. That th- and that's exactly it. I think eh, everyone's going to take these discussions all the wrong way because they always do, and I really don't care. But the point is, we're, we're trying to have a discussion about what could the game be if Andy decides to make some mods to the rules and. We've seen some mods to aircraft and some discussions like that, so there's obviously a thought that there might be a Blood Red Skies 2.0. Uh, but you know what? The game is perfectly playable now. And once again, we, I, I was talking with a couple guys from the Adeptcon group, and we were all laughing and joking and 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 bitching about Blood Red Skies. And what I came back to is, I said, guys, you got to remember, I call it fantasy World War II aerial battles. It's it's not about simulating World War II aerial battles. It never has been, never should be. It's about the movie that was made from the book about the battle where the dude lied about what he actually did. <laughs> yes, Mr. Cantor from Florida. We recognize the representative from Florida. I'm, I'm kind of going back to the rough
1: ride. And I have a question. You mentioned something about how rough ride as it stands today affects both ends of the flight envelope. And using that MiG-15 right. as an example, right? it makes, it makes sense if... Rough ride would apply to a dive situation, but in most cases it applies to, I'm trying to do a, you know, a a wing reversal or whatever to get on a tail shot and I can't shoot. But you would say that's That's a low speed thing, right?
0: It always hammers us in the game is we do a, we fly behind the enemy, we turn around, we do a 180 degree turn and we have rough ride and we fail our pilot check, even rolling, you know. Seven dice with an ace in a MiG-15. MiG um, yeah, Steve. That would be Steve. Actually, he would then try to re-roll using superior pilots, uh, and he would still fail. <laughs> um, but but that's exactly my point, is that the MiG was super capable when swapping ends, uh, whether or not the Russians always employed it that way, but the, the trait penalizes for that, and and part of my frustration is that trait – because you you alluded to the discussion we had earlier, Brett, where it really it, – it gives you a, an equal penalty at opposite ends of the flight spectrum. So it penalizes you in the high-speed regime, um, high-speed, low maneuverability, doing a dive, burning, giving up advantage, whether that's altitude, airspeed, situational awareness, whatever you're giving up to dive. It penalizes you there and says – you have to do a pilot skill check to shoot. And at the same time, it penalizes on the exact opposite end of the spectrum of the entire envelope of flight. It penalizes you in the slow speed maneuvering area for the same thing. And and in now looking at it, you know, a couple years on at the time, didn't, didn't worry about it. But now I go, man, that's a pretty broad brush. You're saying this airplane both sucks at slow speed. And sucks at high speed, and makes the pilot have to to take a pilot skill check just to shoot. I'm like, that's a pretty broad brush. It, it in hindsight, Doug would be like, yeah, you need two separate traits for that. Yeah, and maybe, maybe you could. You know, I mean, maybe, had, maybe
1: it could be like rough ride applies to a dive, and in some other trait like I don't know. I'm making up stuff, but like low speed buffeting or something. Then yeah, that applies. Exa- to yeah, the- exactly.
0: Yeah, you have buffeting or whatever be your be your your negative trait for slow speed maneuverability. That says when you burn advantage to dive, hey motherfucker, you're not exactly a maneuverable airplane, so you're gonna try to swap ends. Good luck. You might depart control flight, or you might, um, you know, you might not be able to take the gunshot. Which I think, like we talked about last time, it actually not telling anyone how they have to create version 2.0 of the game. But it opens up, there's a different penalty in there. I mean, the penalty for doing something and losing a level of advantage, I think is actually more, quote unquote, realistic than a pilot skill check to shoot. Because what you're generally doing is you're generally creating the same nerf when you lose a level of advantage, especially when you're doing it like when you're maneuvering. So you think about most times everybody burns, their advantage; they burn advantage to maneuver, they're now neutral. And if they fail that pilot skill check, they then lose a level of advantage. Now they're disadvantaged, means they're not shooting that disadvantaged nor tailing that disadvantaged guy in front of them. Um, And if they fuck it up so bad when they went from neutral to disadvantaged, then they just crash because they didn't maneuver properly. Um, But I, I think there's that opens up two different grades, that you can have an aircraft that is actually dangerous to fly at slow speed or at high speed, and one that is just difficult to shoot, difficult to employ in a tactical, tactical manner when you're in those, those regimes. But I think, um, I, I think in version 2.0, Andy should look at splitting rough ride uh, because it's opposite ends of the flight spectrum.
1: Even outside of, you know, the advent of a new version or something, I mean, this kind of conversation I think helps us elevate our awareness of the existing traits and doctrines as they exist today. And like, you know, in my case, I've not played a lot with rough Ride, You know, I just have the MIG 15s that have that, but it makes me want to try them again and try to employ them in a way that would help, you know, where I would, I would probably make some different choices on the table in a game to, uh, you know, avoid the disadvantage, you know, More than I had in my previous games, right? After, you know, kind of mulling it over and thinking hard about it like we are today, Uh, not to come across like we're just complaining about the way the game is designed. It's not that at all.
0: It's really just breaking apart, you know, the existing traits and thinking hard about them. Well, exactly. And it was like my game against Matt the other week where I was flying MiGs, he was flying Sabres. Uh, It did cause me to fly a little differently and to let the game go on probably a little bit longer than if I'd been flying a saber and was not concerned about Rough Ride. But at the same time, it didn't matter. When when the guy flies by and you have a perfect tailing opportunity, even with Rough Ride, I'm going to turn around because I'm still going to tail him. The fact is I was there – making decisions to, to not use rough ride or to not be ham- hampered by rough ride. But when a dude flies past you and still offers you six o'clock, you're still going to turn around as a rough ride aircraft and you're still going to tail him. It's just, you can't shoot. So yeah, everybody should understand that we're not saying the game's broken. The game's unplayable. We can't do these things. Um, but in a perfect world, these are things we would change and things we would rewrite to both give the game more depth, but to also make it reflect a little bit better the actual performance characteristics of those aircraft.
1: I think it's also a a discussion to add to the threads and stuff that, you know, the conversations about potential ads of different traits for different aircraft, you know, those those discussions that come up, it's just more
0: more fuel for the conversation. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the conversation's good. And I guess that's what always makes me angriest about some of the discussion is that I think we should we should welcome the discussion knowing that nothing's going to change. That that what is written in the rules is going to stick in the rules until version 2.0, but it it all the discussion arms Andy with the information he needs to when there is a version 2.0 of the game make any choices for rules or traits or how things are are done instead of just staying with status quo.
2: The biggest thing that I'm actually concerned about is that you just said rough ride made your game with Matt go longer than it should have. So when his wife kills him, that's on on, on
0: (laughs) his conscience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because he, he, uh, you know, I got to give him credit. He, he was keeping track of time the whole way. (laughs) And he looked at me, he's like, Hey, we need to go downstairs. We need to go look at what miniatures for sale because I got to leave in like 10 minutes. So I think I still kept him late. I'm a bad person, but whatever. I'll go to hell for it. (laughs) All right, guys, what other hot button topics do we have?
2: (laughs) No, I think just to reiterate, like you said, right? I mean, the fact that we're even discussing the next rule revisions of this game after what was really, really, I would call like the dark days of Blood Red Skies, like a year ago, like post-pandemic, it is, I mean, it's huge.
0: I'm going to be negative Nelly and say, I'm not sure we're out of the dark yet. I will feel better when... um, when, when I see the Italians come out, I know that sounds really self-serving and saying that I want a specific faction, you know, air force, whatever to come out. Uh, but it's, there's, there's just some stuff that I know warlord has had on the production slate for a long time. And I'm super appreciative that they're, uh, getting rid of the metal models. I'm, I'm happy myself when a, you know, a bunch of, uh, Resin Corsairs showed up. Uh, but I'll, I think part of me is a little guarded. And until I see, truly new releases or a compendium book coming out this fall, next winter, you know, whatever, then I'll feel like, okay, we're making progress. Um, Because I think Andy's done a lot to keep the momentum up, but there's just, there's a lot of inertia when you have a company as big as warlord that when it's printing bolt action stuff, it's like printing money. When you're printing Epic scale, civil war and Napoleonics, it's like printing money. When you're trying to get something done for blood, red skies, a fairly niche game. Sometimes it's pulling hands teeth to get get those releases done. So um, but hopefully that that stuff will come out this. I'm gonna guess Italians in January. Um, that's probably optimistic. But I'm gonna guess somewhere between January and March, uh, somewhere in that quarter, uh, Italians hopefully will roll out. Um, because the models are done, cards are done, aces are done. <laughs> they just have to be produced. So it all depends on how they get the rest of the the uh, the rest of the reprints and the rest of the reboxing done, which side note for everybody who doesn't watch our videos on YouTube, um, the reboxes of a lot of the fighters are coming out in the smaller midway sized boxes. So what do I mean by that? Like the boxes that the Dauntlesses and Devastators came in, the Valves and the Kate came in. Uh, I just got a bunch of P40s and they were all in the smaller boxes. So that's a good thing. Um, because you don't feel like you have this, ext- you know, extremely huge box for six airplanes, uh, and it means they've kind of crammed everything down in there. So, good news uh, for all of us on the uh, on, that they're at least keeping those current. And it has the new Vallejo uh, paints on the back of it as well. So it has has all kinds of good info on the back of the box, and uh, and hopefully we'll see those. Maybe even for Aces, I don't know. I'm I, I'm feeling not very optimistic that they're going to release new Ace Ace art, but hopefully Warlord will. Warlord, if you're listening please invest in Ace Art it sells Ace boxes. <laughs> but anyway. All right. Well, that's mostly what we have to talk about for tonight and I think we've pretty much offended everybody at some point. We haven't really pissed off the Americans but I figure I had to do that. I have to talk about talk about the P47 the most worthless fucking airplane ever. No, nah, man. P- great 51. dives are the best. Tre- Trevor's going to
2: die. P-51 was a pilot killer, man.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we, we owe- So in in the spirit of fairness, we do owe an episode on how shitty the P-51 was <laughs> when it started. And the fact that the P-51D becomes the poster child of winning the war is is not necessarily due to great engineering. <laughs>
2: And for all the shit we talk about British airplanes, we do all know the history that the P 51 sucked. We gave it to you. You gave it an engine. You made it good. Okay, you get the credit for that. We appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Brits, for giving us an engine. The rest of the airplane still fucking sucked. (laughs) But that's all right. There were incremental upgrades that got the P 51 to where it needed to be to be a long range fighter. And I, I, I still laugh at all the. The movies that have it as a strafing interdiction fighter, which it was fucking horrible at, but whatever. Uh, It was horrible until like the, what was it, the soccer wars in Central America, Uh, then it became useful. But yeah, not exactly the best interdiction airplane. And it actually, in Korea, when you look at its record as an interdiction airplane, I think the F-80, or at the time the the P-80, but the F-80 shooting star actually did better as an interdiction fighter bomber than the P-51, but... That's right. We won't talk about stats and actual facts. Why would we do that? All right. So any last things in closing, Brett, anyone else you want to piss off and offend? Oh, uh, well, we talked a little, we kind of started this conversation
1: talking about pilot skill with Steve's rant. And, uh, you know, we, in our campaign system that we muddled with back during the lockdown, we incorporated a, you know, a pretty, uh, mild and, uh, abbreviated way to account for some of the more obvious uh, pilot skill differences over the course of the war however in the file section of ready room somebody has uh, borrowed or otherwise compiled some pretty good charts for nearly all the belligerent powers and so if you are out there playing a campaign game of your own and you're starting new pilots and you want to roll for pilot skill and you want to maybe apply some i don't know historical kind of uh, buffs or nerfs to your to your force based on the time frame, there's some charts out there that exist. It might work pretty well with a D12 where you could, you know, put a little thought to like the roles needed to generate the same odds for, um, the different skills. Uh, but I thought it was pretty, pretty impressive to see that, that, that somebody has thought that through and oh, put yeah. that up
0: on the file. So I like that. Yeah, that is, that is good. So I think there's a lot to be said for fleshing out the pilot skill and how it influences the rest of the flight. Uh, cause as guys were talking about for like the, you know, early F4U Corsairs, yeah, that's fine. You might've survived combat, but you're not going to, you know, slam that thing into the fricking round down at the end of the boat because it's, you know, it does not have good landing quality characteristics. Um, so th- there's, I think some cool ways to expand the the pilot skill. And I've, I've always said, it's frustrating to me to see. Only aces get certain specific skills. It's like there, it's like there should be a way that, that pilots have a chance of executing a ace level maneuver, uh, because a lot of those ace level maneuvers were really things that everybody was taught to do after, you know, the first or second year of the war, um, but, or at least in American pilot training, but. Uh, it's 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 one of those frustrating things that you feel like your pilot skill two, three, fours are kind of, you know, faceless, nameless individuals <laughs> that have no impact on the battle other than just bringing whatever their pilot skill is. Well, Steve, any last minute thoughts from you? Want to piss anyone else off? No, I mean,
2: again, just, uh, I think just to take it as, hey, it's conversation about the game, right? Kind of like the way that, a bunch of guys get together and stereotypically at the bar, they talk about the old ball and chain. It doesn't mean that you like hate your wife and never want to see her again. Right. It's just like conversation. So take it as conversation and not that it's like damnation of the blood red skies game system would be my advice to everybody.
0: Yeah. And, and that's what we want. We want spirited, you know, free discussion without gatekeeping, without people being, you know, being pushed off as, uh, as not, not having done the research, you know, whatever uh, that, that a lot of times we hear we want, we want to have those free and open discussions. And I think that's what makes the game better. And more importantly, whether the game changes or not, it gets you in the books and studying and reading history and and finding out about how aircraft actually performed, not what you see in all the movies, you know, which is nothing like how airplanes fly. (laughs) I don't know. It's just exactly like Top Gun. Let me tell you, 20 years flying the F-18, just like Top Gun Maverick, not at all. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Please like and review the podcast. Uh, Please go out and subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, Please leave us reviews on iTunes, on Google, on all those places. Uh, And also, please, on social media, go out there and give us a piece of your mind tell us how fucked up we are or what wonderful individuals we are and that we hit all the right issues and discussed them in thoroughly enough depth. Um, But please give us that feedback because we will talk about the topics you want. Otherwise we're stuck with Steve's rants for the next couple episodes.
2: (laughs) Until next time, keep climbing for advantage or like something like just really just not good because
0: I want (laughs) to stab myself as soon as I say that. Thanks for listening to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Keep climbing for advantage, you furry freaks. That's it. Pass all your pilot skill (laughs) tests. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Until
1: next time. Yeah, you you go. Okay, you go. Yeah.
0: Until next time. (laughs) Hold on. Y'all got to shut the fuck up so we can actually get this (laughs) one recorded. Thanks for listening to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Until next time, we hope you pass all your pilot skill checks and climb for advantage, you furry little freaks.